Welcome back to Rewrite Motherhood. On today's episode, I'm so excited to talk with my dear friend, Dr. Patricia Rowicki, known to me as Trish. Trish is a doctor, has four children, ages seven down to six months old, and her awesome husband, Bennett, is a busy attorney. There are so many twists and turns to Trish's story, but here are a few highlights that will give you an idea of why Trish is one of the first women we've interviewed for the podcast. First, Trish is a hyperemesis survivor. And Trish, did I get that pronunciation yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, Dr. <laughs> Trish. In all of her four pregnancies, Trish has been literally bedridden for weeks or months and required IV nutrients so her body can handle the pregnancy. And yet, she has still chosen to have four babies in six years. Second, as we'll learn more about, Trish has never had a paid maternity leave after any of her four babies, and she has had to constantly break the mold for doctors. She has taken unconventional breaks during medical school and during residency. And at the moment, Trish is on another break from practicing medicine after the birth of her first fourth child, Xavier. Trish, it's so awesome to have you on. Thank you for having me. Okay. There's so much that I want to talk to you about, but I think a good way of starting would be to give a brief um, explanation of when you met Bennett and when you got married. Okay. Uh, so Bennett and I met in college. Um, we just, we're both, we're, we both uh, graduated from the University of Dallas. We just both wanted to go to these little liberal arts um, Catholic schools. And um, we you know, we're dating. So as the college kids, you know, termed it, we weren't really going on dates, but we were together <laughs> since, mm -hmm. um, since we were 18. So we were together for about five years before we got married and we got, we both got married, uh, or we were both one year into grad school when we got married. Okay. And so Bennett was in law school at SMU and you were in medical school at UT Southwestern. Yes. And you obviously, when you first got married, you we're not interested in having a child yet, but yes. what happened? Um, because spoiler, you had a baby during medical school. So what led to that? Um, yes. Yeah. So, um, the first two years that we were married, we, um, did plan on delaying having kids. Um, and I don't, I don't think I had like a plan in my mind of when I just knew that I wanted to get a portion of my training done first. Um, and we were actually um, teaching NFP at the time. Um, so like for everyone that's natural family planning. So when you get married in the Catholic church, you have to um, take just a little rudimentary course on what natural family planning is, which is just kind of um, being able to like interpret signs of fertility in order to um, avoid having children when you need to, or to try to achieve pregnancy. Um, so anyway, so everyone who gets married in the Catholic church now needs to take that class. So we were, um, kind of doing this like ministry with the church by teaching that. Um, and so as we, you know, I, I taught a couple sessions of that and I just was really like steeped into this knowledge of, or the, this language of, um, um, you know, the fruitfulness of marriage and, um, um, like the spousal meaning of the body, like giving your body as a gift to another and, um, you know, how we can kind of 
um, grow in our marriage and grow closer to God through that. And I just like through that, I think started to just have this really strong desire to have children and not to wait. Mm -hmm. So, um, we got pregnant at the end of my third year of med school. Mm -hmm. Okay. And medical school is four years, right? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was a plan you planned to have your first child in medical school. Yes. Yes. Actually. And I'll do a little parentheses. Like all of our kids were like planned. We were always aware that we could, um, get pregnant during, you know, that time. So I, you know, everyone thinks like NFP is or everyone from like the outside kind of thinks NFP is something Mm -hmm. that totally doesn't work. And, you know, I, I just feel like I have to tout that it it can work. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're, and you are a doctor saying this. Yeah. So <laughs> this is for yeah. my medical, like you, you believe well, it. Don't, don't sue me though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. This is not yeah. medical advice. Yeah. This is not medical advice. <laughs> um, okay. So what, I mean, I'm imagining that there were probably not very many women pregnant during medical school. Um, what was that like for you yeah. to be pregnant during medical school? Were you the only one? What did people say? What did people think? Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's not that it's not ever happened. I mean, some people do, do have kids during medical school. I feel like it's, it's typically the people who maybe are doing this as a second career, like they're older. So it's kind of now or never. Um, I don't think most people view it as ideal because, um, medical training is pretty intense and it's long. (laughs) Um, so, um, yeah, so I definitely think, okay. Whenever I kind of have conversations with, with, with people that were close to me. Um, and like, especially my family members, I felt that I got a lot of, um, um, advice to, to just wait. Like why? I mean, my dad was like, you're 25, just chill. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you have a lot of years to figure this out. Just think about it a few years from now. And, um, um, like we were talking a little bit before I like this, this longing to have kids right now just wasn't going away. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I think I was telling you, you know, not to put it in such a dramatic, dramatic light, but I felt a lot of anguish about it because mm-hmm. I, 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 I'd come to, um, like, like growing up, I just didn't have a lot of, um, guidance, I think on like what motherhood would mean and, um, the importance of motherhood to a woman. And, um, like it was all just very kind of like, well, what is your ambition and what are your goals? And I, I think I, I felt so worried and scared that, um, having a kid would, um, would make my goals go away. And that without, like, without achieving my goal of being a doctor, that I wouldn't be happy. And, um, you know, but I, but but at the same time, you know, on the flip side, this longing wasn't going away. So, um, yeah, I really struggled with it a lot. Um, but eventually just decided, you know, that this felt right. Um, and, um, this was, you know, some like how I was made to be. And, and looking back, I, 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 I just, I, 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 don't know why everyone was so dismissive of that desire mm-hmm. of mine, really. Um, and not everyone, mm-hmm. of course, I have like great role models in my life, including, you know, I'd, I'd highlight like my mother-in-law. I mean, she's just mm-hmm. the epitome of a wonderful mother. And, um, so, um, you know, she was all about, she was very encouraging. Um, but, but I think a lot of people were just like, like a little bit laughing at, at just this, this anguish that I felt. And, um, because they didn't understand why I was in such a rush and, and I, I really feel like it was like this call to transcendence, like to be a, a co-creator with God and to 
like have this fruitful marriage. And, um, yeah, so I definitely see it as, as, um, noble, I guess, looking back, like, like this, this mm-hmm. thing that was like, a, uh, uh, like a mark inside me that really wanted to, to be expressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is interesting how dismissive people can be of your desire to have mother. It's to be a mother. It's part of, I think our culture of just commodifying children that mm-hmm. you kind of go and you plan your life the way you want to live your life. And you have your kind of career ambitions first. And then at some point it's kind of a luxury you throw kids in. And mm-hmm. I think what happens to a lot of women, and one of the things that I hope we can kind of address on this podcast is that they go along thinking that, you know, career is everything and I'll have kids one day. And then they have kids and it's just such mm-hmm. transformational experience. And as you, I like the word you use trans, you know, transcendent experience. And then all of a sudden you think, well, I kind of feel like I should reorder my life in some way, or Mm -hmm. maybe I don't change anything externally. Maybe I stay in the same career trajectory, but I thinking about it a different way. And it really can kind of take you aback um, if you're not prepared for it. I know I wasn't prepared for it, right? the experience Mm -hmm. of it. So I think it's really, yeah. I mean, I think I, um, on one hand, okay. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a, um, a, a fundamental uh, characteristic of our of our species, you know, to want to to give life and and bear children. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, it does change your life. So I I think the advice like to wait, it wasn't it wasn't um, given lightly necessarily. Uh, like yeah, I mean, and, and to a certain extent, some people were kind of flippant about the desire, but um, but yeah, it does change. So if if you feel that like, well, the most important thing is that you finish your training and you finish it well, then, then maybe it does, you know, (laughs) like, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, it's almost acknowledging that kids will transform your life and they'll transform your priorities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what, whether it transformed your priorities. So you have, (laughs) you got pregnant the third year of law school. I mean, gosh, I keep saying law school and I just, it's obviously because I'm a lawyer myself Um, in, in medical school. And then after you had Donovan, and I will say for people who don't know Trish, Donovan is seven years old. He's brilliant, empathetic, <laughs> kind, wonderful. Um, so thank God that he exists. So yeah. you had Donovan and then did you kind of like go straight back in to your training or how, how did you treat yeah, So I was able to just, so I was able to just take the content of my fourth year and just extend it over two years. So that meant, you know, I kind of had just a really light schedule over those, those two years. And I was able to, um, just spend a lot of time at home. And I felt like I, I mostly was able to stay home until Donovan was eight months and residency started. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how did you get the school? Like, who did you talk to? How did you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I have to say, um, I like all my direct mentors were always very, um, like, like, even though maybe it wasn't the choice they would have chosen, they were very kind and supportive. So, um, I, uh, just, just kind of said, Hey, I'm pregnant. I want to extend my fourth year. And they, and I, they, everyone was fine, fine about that. I said, I want to, I, well, what I really said was I want to take a year off before residency. And I was given the advice that that is not an ideal way to apply to residency. Um, if you've just taken a year off, so what you should do is just kind of go the slower route and, um, and extend it so that you're not coming after a year of just being off. 
Mm-hmm. So did you yeah, get to so, pay like, did you just pay like half tuition over the course of two years? <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So do you recommend, so like for women who are maybe in medical school and they're, maybe there's some woman out there who's in medical school and she wants to have a baby. I mean, do you think like, I know you can't recommend it, but do you mm-hmm. think that this is more of a possibility than people realize, or do you think that you got like particularly lucky? Um, no, I think it, I think it is a possibility because especially, I mean, now it's over, over 50% of doctors are women. Um, mm-hmm. so, and, and, you know, these are, these are the, the times when you're in medical school and residency are your, your years of fertility. Um, so mm-hmm. you, you can't just delay forever or you won't have kids. Um, so yes, I think it's becoming not uncommon to, to have children. And I think during your fourth year is a good time to have it. I just think that you have to be, um, you kind of have to like find the support. Um, not everyone is going to think that's a laudable goal and, um, and you just have to kind of surround yourself with people who will be supportive of that goal. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And then there's a little wrinkle here because you did mm-hmm. not have just a normal pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, you suffered from a very serious condition in <laughs> all of your four pregnancies. So tell everybody what HG is and like how you discovered that you had this and what, what it felt like. Yes. Um, um, so, okay. Hyperemesis, uh, gravidarum, I'm just like severe nausea and vomiting of pregnancy. Um, you know, there are some like defining characteristics or like you lose 10% of your body weight, but I mean, mostly it's just, um, I, I, for me, for me, for me, it was, um, the biggest issue was that I, I couldn't keep like literally any fluids down, um, for the first three months, like all like water, soda, tea, whatever. Um, by the way, the way you're describing this is so funny because you're like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like losing 10% of your body weight while you're pregnant. It's like, you just like the biggest issue is really just, you can't keep any fluids down. It's like, okay, you mean you're gonna, (laughs) you can't drink water. I mean, it's very nuts. I'll I'll be honest. It's very nuts how, (laughs) how sick I am. And like, we've talked about this a little bit in the past. I, I truly feel that all mothers like suffer physically in some way during, you know, um, I mean, whether it's, whether it's because you had a C-section and, you know, your recovery is that, I mean, there is some component of that for everyone. So, so like, I don't, I don't necessarily feel that my suffering is special. Um, I just think it's like, it's a little bit dramatic. It's like intense for that, for that three or four, four months. And, and, um, you know, another thing I'll say is, um, that, um, like, 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 like we can have a tendency, I can have a tendency to glamorize someone else's suffering, like where, uh, um, you think, um, I, I, I don't know where you just don't realize like how, like, like there's nothing glamorous about my pregnancy. I mean, I, um, and you can cut this, you can decide if you want to or not, but I mean, like <laughs> I, um, I like can't stand my own smell. I have this side effect called Tylism, where you just have this excess saliva that's like nauseating to swallow. So mm. I just get into a cup for months and, you know, like oh. crazy hormonal acne. I mean, like, n- like there's nothing that is like pleasant or nice appearing about my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, to, just to, it, it is, it is really, really kind of nuts. Um, but I also think, 
you know, I'm like, that's with these healthy, healthy children. So, you know, obviously, and we can get to that. I, it's all, it's all worth it. But. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, if yeah. Christina were here, she would say that it's okay to have perspective and honor other people's suffering, but we don't do comparative suffering. So, yeah. um, you know, just saying, oh, well, other people have it worse. Not that you're saying that. And I, I appreciate that perspective, but I mean, we can just pour a little beer out for the fact that you've been literally bedridden every time you're pregnant. How yeah. many women experience something like that? Do you I, I know? Like pre- it's about 2%. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah. you pregnant with Donovan, you're in your third year of medical school. Yeah. And when, like, when was the point that you realized this is not normal? And then did you have to be hospitalized when you were pregnant with Donovan? So I was not hospitalized with Donovan. I did get home health. Um, so, um, actually, and, and this might be just a point for anyone else who kind of is suffering with nausea and vomiting like this, but you know, they don't, they, the doctor doesn't see you very much during the first part of your pregnancy. Like I had one appointment for dating and then, um, even as a almost doctor, I still just kind of thought, wow, this is really rough. Pregnancy is super hard. <laughs> and, um, and then after like one whole day where I just was so dehydrated, I just like didn't pee at all. Um, sorry. Um, and I was like, no, this, this doesn't seem right. But I think because I was so, I was so ill, I just wasn't thinking clearly. I really wasn't. Um, and I, I've felt that actually because I was, I was a lot sicker with, with Evie, my second one. And I, I felt the same thing that I was not, I was not making good decisions because I was mm-hmm. just, um, so anyway, so then I did get in touch with my doctor and, um, saw her in the clinic and she was like, wow, you're very sick. And then, um, ordered me home health, which was amazing because I didn't have to be hospitalized. And so a nurse would just come to my house every three days and I would get, and, and I had, I had like a, a permanent IV, um, and, um, you know, they, I, so I could do home IV fluids and, um, vitamins and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that and was so, kind of yeah. how you got your nutrients was through the IV. Yes. Yeah. So I was able to eat a little bit with, um, with Donovan's pregnancy. So I didn't need like with, with like, just to contrast with my second pregnancy, I, I was so malnourished that I did end up getting, um, uh, it's called TPN. So they do like a permanent IV line. It, it ends, um, kind of like right above your heart and they basically can give you like a smoothie through your IV. I mean, like, so I would, I, I did that with, with Evie for a very long time, but I didn't need that with, with my first pregnancy. Um, I just, I just needed fluids and then I was sick. I was sick until like 18 weeks and then I got quite a bit better. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then yeah. Were you able, like, by the time, like you're 40 weeks along, you had Donovan was life more, was like, like a normal pregnant woman, or were you still throwing up and stuff? I, I, um, more like a normal pregnant woman. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I'd have a lot of nausea with certain fluids, but I could do, do some, but yeah, for some reason it was always that, but, um, yeah, more, okay. more like, a normal. Mm-hmm. okay. So you had Don, so you had a crazy pregnancy with Donovan, um, you had, so you, then you finished medical school over the course of two years. And then, um, did you, when you matched, how did you kind of navigate where you ranked your priorities? And can you kind of explain just briefly what match is like and how you ended up staying in the DFW area? 
Yeah. So the match is a bit of a crazy system. Um, so when you're, you apply for a specialty and um, you go interview at these various residency programs and um, well, they, you know, they have to ask you for an interview and then you go interview and, um, and then you, the, the applicant ranks their programs in order of where they would like to end up. And um, then the programs rank the applicants. And then it goes into this computerized system and um, you, basically it just goes down the list and you end up with your top match that also had you as a top applicant. Um, yeah. So um, I, you know, I, I went into family medicine, which is, um, you know, not, a, not an extremely competitive specialty. By the way, um, I want to just briefly interrupt you there, Trish, because I know people who knew you in medical school and they tell me, and I'm sure you'll be too modest to admit this, but they tell me that you were absolutely one of the smartest people in the class and that it was kind of like, I don't know if scandalous is the right word, but kind of scandalous that you had chosen to forego some of the like super competitive, ambitious, more lucrative specialties is that true? Like admit or deny? <laughs> and what was like the reasoning behind that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, nobody wants um, false humility. I mean, yeah, I was four, I was fourth in my class out of like 220. So I oh definitely my gosh. like it was a, like, yeah, like <laughs> I did well, I did well in med school. Um, and um, for me, I, um, I did, I, I, you know, you never want to like insult another specialty. So I have to be careful right. about how I say this, but, um, <laughs> I, um, I tried the lifestyle specialties as they call them. I tried out dermatology and ophthalmology and I, so there were a couple, a couple decisions at play here. I mean, one was, I just really like physiology. Like I really like how the human body works and I felt sad. Like I, I was can we pause for a second? Cause I think the baby, yeah, of course, to to bed. of course, okay. I'll, All right. pause I'll, just, I'll just, can I log in with the same code? So Trish, you finished medical school and you were, um, trying to decide where you wanted to do your residency. And probably some of the listeners understand that there's this complicated match process. Um, so what was that like? Where did you want to match? And then I also just want to say that, I know people who have known, knew you in medical school, and they say that you were one of the top handful of people in the class. So I'm sure there was a lot of expectations for you to do one of the specialties that was traditionally like very competitive, ambitious, and lucrative. So tell us what you decided to do. Um, yeah. So yes, I mean, I, did very well in med school. I was fourth in my class, um, out of like 220, uh, 220 mm -hmm. something. So I, um, I do think that there were, even I'd say like the Dean of students, she said to me, family medicine. Um, so, okay. There were a couple of reasons why I chose it. And I do think, okay, family medicine sometimes gets a bad rap because I think because it's low paying, um, a lot of the people who are top in the class don't choose that. Okay. Because obviously, um, you're going to go to something that is, is higher paying, but I will say that, um, the residency I, I ended up at, um, 
you know, it's kind of a unique residency. And I was with incredibly smart people there. And a lot of, a lot of the uh, people who come out of that program end up going to do like medical missions overseas, or they're the only doctor in a small town. So they really, I think, intentionally choose this life of service. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and bring all their skills to it. Um, now I think, I think there's kind of a, an easier way to do family medicine, but, um, I, I, I really loved physiology. I loved the way the human body works and I liked women's health and the heart and the liver. And I just didn't want to say goodbye to any of that. I really liked (laughs) the whole human body. Um, so, so that was, that was really it. Um, Mm -hmm. and did you, did, did feeling like it could be flexible for family life? I don't even know if it is flexible, but is that at all part of it? Yes, I I did definitely take that into consideration. I mean, my Bennett, my husband Bennett had already gotten a job here in Dallas and it was a great job. And we, our whole life was here. Like his parents had moved here and we just, we weren't moving. So um, I I only interviewed in the Dallas DFW area. And um, I just, I didn't really have any concerns that I was going to match. So there was definitely that, like I, I knew that we could, craft the life we wanted if I did this, as opposed to, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe ending up who knows where with some more competitive specialty. And, mm-hmm. um, and I also knew that later on it would be easier to go, um, to go part-time perhaps. And I think another part of it, um, now, now I know that people can do, people can do whatever they want with a service mentality. Okay. You can, Mm -hmm. you know, be in the stock market, but you still somehow manage to, you know, like, I don't, I I don't know how, but you know, you have a hedge fund and you still manage to have the service mentality. But for me, Mm -hmm. I just felt that if I was going to leave my baby, you know, 60, 80 hours a week for residency, I wanted to feel like I was making a difference in other people's lives. And, Mm -hmm. um, that I like my residency, I, I, as part of that, I worked at an FQHC, a federally qualified health center. And I just knew that I would feel that fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, so when we, I talked to Christina about this, Christina, before she went to law school and for listeners, Christina is, was the first, um, episode of this podcast and she is a lawyer and she also is going to be a contributor to the podcast. So, but Christina uh, thought she wanted to go into social work for the same mm. reason. She took a year after Princeton and worked, did a fellowship in social work. And she quickly realized that the subject matter was actually too heavy for her. Mm. And now she, she says one reason that she's stayed in her profession as a lawyer um, is because she works on these massive complex commercial cases that are extremely important, but they aren't life or death and they're not kind of getting in the weeds of family. And so she attributes her, her ability to be emotionally detached from the subject of her work to her ability to stay in her profession. So I don't want to jump the gun on like, you know, the ins and outs, but I guess we could just go there. Like, did you find that your, the kind of difficult, like the situations that you were seeing at work, did you find that that helped you leave your babies or hindered Mm -hmm. you leaving your babies or how did that end up playing out? 
Yeah. So I do, I, I agree with Christina to a certain extent. I mean, I knew that I didn't want to do like pediatric trauma surgery. Okay. For my whole life. I mean, I knew that I, I couldn't maintain that kind of like softness and nurturing mentality with my children and still have that like kind of hardness and compartmentalization that's required of someone who does that career. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but in my residency, we do all that kind of stuff. I mean, not pediatric trauma surgery, but um, we, um, we work in the ICU for a couple months. So, um, and I worked in children's ER for a couple months and yeah, that Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was, that was really hard to be honest. I, I can, can say that I almost hated working at children's ER because Mm -hmm. we would have these kids come in that were drowning, like drowning victims. And I just, Mm -hmm. I wanted to get out of there. So, so on one hand, I, I really enjoy the complexity of medicine. So I think I get, I get kind of the best of both worlds with the type of family medicine that I was doing. Okay. Which is working at a federally qualified health center where people are incredibly sick and also doing some inpatient medicine. So people are medically complex, but, um, they're, they're not, they, they're not living my exact life. Like I'm not seeing this sick child or, um, you know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more removed from my life. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is it fair to say that the children, when you had patients who were children, that was the hardest? That was very hard for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I honestly don't know. And we could derail this conversation real quick and start talking about untreated trauma that, that medical practitioners face. I mean, when I hear my friends tell these stories of things they encounter, I'm like, do you need therapy? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we need everybody. We all need therapy. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys, y'all are all amazing. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's, so you're in residency. So you started your residency and when did you get pregnant with your second and why did you do it during residency? <laughs> and tell us about that. Yeah. Okay. So I, um, we had an almost two-year-old and just kind of wanted to grow our family. And so I got pregnant at the end of my intern year. And, you know, I mean, practically that's kind of a good time because interns, your intern year is the hardest. You have the least control over your schedule. Um, and I was just, I, this is probably naive and I'm sure my program director thought I was just really stupid, but, um, I was just really hopeful that I wouldn't get so sick again. (laughs) Um, and, and then when I did, I, I, I mean, it almost makes me want to tear up just thinking about, I just, I was very sad. Like I Mm -hmm. just remember being, um, five weeks and rounding at the hospital, like five weeks pregnant. So I like had just taken Mm -hmm. a pregnancy test and I was rounding at the hospital and I was like, so nauseous and Mm -hmm. like unable to focus on anything. And I was just sad because I knew it was going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. And that was, you know, by far, by far and away, my worst pregnancy and sidebar, she's also kind of my hardest child. So <laughs> I don't know if that goes together, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, like I said earlier, and I'll keep this kind of brief. I was, um, I, I did end up when I got too sick to kind of go to work, which was about when I was about six weeks pregnant. Um, I took a leave of absence, which we were hoping was going to be kind of short, um, 
Mm-hmm. But I required like the, the IV nutrition, like I told you, and then I actually was on TPN. So that IV nutrition, that smoothie going into mm-hmm. my IVs until 22 weeks. So that's like mm-hmm. a super long time to just not eat food. Um, yeah. So how and, many months was that Trish? So, um, wait, sorry um, for the math, but you said you started at when? So it's about four months. I mean, it was about four months. Oh my gosh. Were you in yeah. the hospital for four months? So I was hospitalized for about nine days to kind of get that going. Um, and then oh. I was able to, again, have home health, which is, I mean, which is really a tremendous um, benefit because mm-hmm. hospitals make you nauseous. You know, the smells yeah. are weird and you're not you can't be with your baby. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was really wonderful to get to have home health. And I mean, Bennett, again, so supportive. I mean, he's not medical at all. He would, you know, get my little bag of TPN, push, push some vitamins in it, set up my IV every night. I mean, he was amazing. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Bennett because meanwhile, so it, your story is crazy enough because you're, you know, you're a resident and now you're taking time off and all this stuff. Well, meanwhile, Bennett is starting his career as a lawyer. So where was Bennett in all of this and how did he take it? Yeah, I I feel like Bennett is, is like just so supportive um, and just good. Um, He really doesn't complain about hard situations. So he was doing everything. I mean, I just laid in bed and threw up. And he would work a full, you know, work a full-time job at the, the firm and then come home and play with the baby and do all my medical stuff. And he, um, just has always wanted what's best for me and, um, you know, wanted me to succeed in however I felt like truly, um, successful. And so he's always mm-hmm. supported those, those moves. Mm-hmm. One thing I love about your story is that you, you know, y'all are devout Catholics and for anybody listening, you know, this is the second episode and we are going to have lots of people of all different faiths and no particular religious faith on this podcast. I love hearing women from all different walks of life. So this is not like a meant to be like a Catholic podcast, but of course I'm Catholic and Trish is Catholic. And just what I think is really cool about your story is that you guys have followed like the church's teaching on human sexuality and in many situations that can fall kind of unevenly on the, the woman or the stereotype is that it falls unevenly on the woman and that it's a woman who has to be pregnant. And what's just so cool about your story is like the huge number of times that your husband has willingly chosen to take a hit and to do, like you say, to do everything to support you and um, you know, he's taken time off. We haven't even gotten mm-hmm. to that, but he's taken time off in his career mm-hmm. and he's gone part-time when he's, you know, could have, could have been on partner track, um, at his law firm. And, and you just have such like an equitable marriage mm-hmm. and you're really, I think, so, so is that just like a coincidence that you are like that? Or is it actually a result of you guys following the, um, the church's teachings on human sexuality? Hmm. I mean, I think Bennett is really, really good. Um, and I think that he, he has always put our family first. So I, 
I just think even though he has ambition and he has, and he loves killing it at work, he really does. And he loved, he gets a lot of satisfaction out of doing a great job, but he knows that in his priorities, it's our marriage and our family, you know, and God, of course, first. So he, he might, it might be, he might have to, so, so whereas maybe for me, I feel like it comes naturally to think about my children first. I think for him, he's always conscientiously thought about our children. Like he said, no, mm-hmm. I need to stop what I'm doing right now at work because my, I'm supposed to be with, be supporting my family right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always been, and that's just something he grew up with. I mean, again, I, I feel like my in-laws are so amazing. They just kind of passed down that value to him. And, mm-hmm. um, so, so yeah. He, yeah, he's great. That's amazing. But yeah, like you said, I mean, he he has taken taken hits at work, and again, we've it's been it's definitely been a we've like passed the baton back and forth in terms of who is maybe more primary in the children's life sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and just to you know, Bennett um, went to SMU, and then he did a federal clerkship, and then he went to work for Gibson Dunn, which is the firm that I worked at, um, which you know it's an amazing firm. So he is no, you know, it's not like he is, you know, on some sort of um, slow <laughs> track, I should say. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So you, so you, I feel so sad listening to you talk about just, <laughs> I can imagine you just went through this thing with Donovan and you're so hopeful, like, oh, it's not going to happen again. And then you, you start to get sick and you're thinking, Oh no, I know exactly what I'm in for. And not only were you in for it, but it was worse. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there anything, I mean, just with, you know, not to get too like metaphysical here and I won't put you on the spot, but is there anything that you learned from that suffering about just how to deal with suffering in the future mm-hmm. or any like words of consolation to somebody <laughs> going through something like that? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so I definitely think I have learned from it. Um, And now I will say this, I do not suffer well. I mean, I know talking about this now, I'm like, oh, everyone goes through suffering. I don't suffer well. I'm like, I, I, I'm really resentful about the whole thing at the time. And, um, I am sad and I, it's not like I'm like singing songs of praise. I'm like annoyed (laughs) about the whole thing. Um, (laughs) so, but I like, it's always been like, it's a bit of a dark night of the soul. I I feel, um, like empty and like unsupported, you know, like I'm like, Oh, I don't feel like Christ is right there with me suffering. You know, no, that's not how I feel at all. I just want it to be over. Um, but I think with each one, I've gotten a little bit better at like offering it for my children, you know, and like, okay, um, either humanly or metaphysically. I mean, so like, hopefully they'll look back one day and know Mm -hmm. how loved they were, first of all, just because of what we went through as parents. And then, um, even just kind of metaphysically, like saying, I am offering this for my children's faith that they will like grow up with a strong faith. And, um, yeah, I have really awesome kids. I mean, obviously everyone has, like struggles with children at different times, but I feel like God has, um, like, I I just feel like it's been worthwhile. Like I see the fruit of that. And actually, if we can like skip ahead for a second, I, 
I really concretely saw the fruit of it in my family when I was pregnant with the third one. Okay. Because they were a little bit older. They were five and almost three and they just had such a capacity to show love to me. Okay. So they would bring me my medicine or bring me, um, like whatever fluid I was drinking or trying to drink or, you know, my snacks and then just kind of like lay with me in bed and like watch a movie next to me being really gentle, gentle. And I just saw that they like, they, um, just, you know, were developing this capacity for empathy and care of each other. Um, so Mm -hmm. I think that even though it sucks all the time that anyone is suffering, I mean, just trying to like see those little lights can be so consoling during those times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, I like love that story. And I should say, you know, we, I, earlier I said, your oldest Donovan is amazing. And I didn't get the chance to say how e- amazing Evie is, even though you said, um, she is challenging. <laughs> it's the challenging children who are often also the most amazing. So she yeah. is, um, she's also just so beautiful. And she still naps for you, which is okay. So then you have easy. Um, and then, and then what happened after you had, okay, so, so yeah, when I was, so when the, you know, starting at that six weeks of pregnancy, I actually didn't come back for like a whole year and a half because once I was finally kind of healthy enough to go back, I just, um, was, I, 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 hadn't really spent this quality time with my one-year-old because I'd been so sick for the past few months. And I just didn't feel right about going back. And I was very afraid to tell my program director that, but I think a couple things that were real graces in that. So my program director was, was literally amazing. Okay. He said, I understand. Let me know when you want to come back which is completely atypical. I mean, that is not what happens in residency. (laughs) Right. Um, But I, okay. And so, so he was just amazing in and of itself, but also my OB at the time was one of our faculty. Okay. So he had been kind of with me through the whole thing and he had, Mm. you know, come to my home, done some home visits and, um, he'd like seen kind of how sick we were, um, or I was rather. And, um, so he definitely knew it wasn't a cop out and he also like has a family and is a very devoted father. And so he completely understood where I was coming from and really went to bat for me, I think, um, to kind of, get everyone on my team. So they just kind of left it open-ended for me, which like, I don't recommend people trying that like that (laughs) in residency because I I think it was very special and unique, but, um, yeah. So, so they said, okay, we get it. Let us know when you want to come back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now let's say, let's say you were in like a nightmare scenario and the school was being difficult, not the school, the faculty, Mm -hmm. the, Mm -hmm. the hospital. And they were like, oh no, you're not going to take an extended leave and, and you're not going to come back. Do you think that you would have been like, peace out, I'm done. Or do you think you would have just soldiered through and just went back to work? I think, I think I would have said, peace out, I'm done because I've always felt that, um, you have to do the, like what, what you have to do at the time. And I, you know, attachment to our children is so important. Okay. Now people do hard things all the time. I mean, you know, women go to war and they don't see their children for a year and their family receives blessings from that. Okay. But at the time I just felt that I was, um, I needed to cultivate this attachment 
to my one-year-old. And it wasn't that I was just going to go back and work a couple mornings a week. It was that I was going to go back and be gone for 60 to 80 hours a week. And I just don't think I would have ever been comfortable with that, with that decision. So I think I would have said, I would have said peace out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk too about just, it sounds like you had, you were lucky that you had particularly very, very good. I shouldn't say lucky. It was providential, good people mentoring Mm -hmm. you, but you know, do you think that that, like you said, is that a typical, like what, can you comment on just what it's like for young women in residency? And, you know, even though you had great sponsors, you also didn't have anybody, um, you know, you didn't have any paid maternity leave or anything like that. Right. I mean, I really, I, it's, it's really hard for women in in residency who are pregnant now. And I, I, I just think about women who, um, have nausea and vomiting and then they're in surgery. I mean, then you're standing and for maybe even 10 hours at a time and, um, and in different specialties without that support, like, and they are soldiers. I mean, they are warriors. Mm-hmm. I, like, and I, I mean, I experienced a little bit of that because I did work, I did work and complete residency all th- through my third pregnancy. So, I, you know, I did 24 hour shifts in the ICU when I was 32 weeks pregnant. And, um, like, and, you know, we, we definitely, to a certain extent, we have that capacity. Um, mm-hmm. we, we can soldier on for quite, quite a while. And, you know, come up with these kind of reserves of strengths. Um, but yeah, I think there were, you have to have like certain support at home or certain support in different ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Again, I just, I want to resist. I'm so tempted to go off on some like tangent about just how crazy the whole residency process is. And, <laughs> and I know that there are some reasons it's like that. I mean, you have to learn so much to be entrusted with people's lives. And so, you know, you have to have those, those a long, it has to take a long time and you have to work long hours and see all kinds Mm -hmm. of things. So I'm not trying to underrate just how difficult it is, but, um, yeah, it does, it just sure does seem that people who want to have a family in their twenties and early thirties, which is often when people have a family, um, (laughs) who want to be doctors, it's just like a really hard path. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so you took a long time off and you have this, this, uh, your, your mentor says you can come back when you're ready. So when were you ready? Um, when, so when my second baby was about eight months old, I, I just, it was always the plan to go back. And I felt like, even though I was, I was, I was happy being home with them. I mean, I really see that as a gift, but I wasn't, I didn't feel completely fulfilled as opposed to how I feel now. Okay. And we, we can get, get to that later, but I think there were a couple issues. I didn't have the community that I have now. We were kind of like living out in the middle of nowhere and just far away. Um, so I felt kind of lonely. And, um, I also think just having two tiny kids <laughs> who don't talk to you is, is harder than having even more kids with some, like, like now, for example, I have like interesting conversations with my seven-year-old. I really like enjoy talking to him and I, and, um, yeah, so I just think it was a little bit harder and, um, 
Yeah. So, it, and it was right. always my plan to go back. So when I started to feel a little bit um, like now or never, because we probably are going to have more kids down the road. So let's just get it done. And I only had two more years left. So um, I, um, I went back when she was exactly a year, exactly a year old and, um, and just completed my two years at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to hear you say that you always wanted, you thought you'd have more children because I just remember every time, like right after you'd have a baby, you'd be like, <laughs> I'm not like, we're not having any more kids <laughs> because you had just been like to hell and back with the, yeah. with the, um, hyperemesis. Yeah. So what, like what changed each time you've done it now four <laughs> times. And I, I do, do distinctly remember like after Evie, especially you're like, we're not never having more kids. Is it just yeah. time and God working on your heart or getting, yeah, space? I think it's just time. I mean, I think I have like a really good gift of amnesia. Like I yeah. just forget it. Um, and yes, actually it's so funny. I texted my best friend during this last pregnancy. And I was like, I really, I want you to screenshot this text message about how horrible (laughs) this is and how like, I'm, I really should never have kids again because I can't even take care of the kids I have with how I'm sick. And I was like, I want you to, I'm going to screenshot it and I want you to show it to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's great. Well, we'll see if she actually, well, she's just, no, it, and I will say, I mean, I remember I brought you guys dinner once. I think you were pregnant with your third. Yeah. And I, I was coming over and I didn't mean to come in, but then I ended up coming in and like heating it up. And then I knew you were sick, Trish, but then, and I hope this is an okay story to tell, but like you walked out of your room and I was like, oh my gosh, like she is so ill. I mean, you, you, you know, you wheeled out your IV and you looked like a different person. You were skin, you were gaunt and here are your beautiful two older kids. I'm going to cry. And they're just happily playing with your babysitter. And of course I'm like, why did you, oh my gosh, I feel terrible that you walked out. Don't get out of bed for me. (laughs) Um, But I'm glad that I saw you because I heard, you know, you hear in the abstract, oh, she has to get, you know, IV nutrients or whatever. And she's out of, but like you were unrecognizable. So that's, what's insane. And then I, you know, here I am at your house this morning and you know, the kids are for beautiful children, super happy. You're healthy, bright, vibrant, fit, just, you know, the picture of health. And so I don't know what point I'm making other than, gosh, you were really ill, but also, Mm -hmm. but but it's just amazing. Like how things can get better. Yes, (laughs) for sure. You know, it's really interesting. I, 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 I kind of just go into this cave, like whenever that's happening. And I really like, even the same best friend that I was telling you, I texted a screen or I was like, screenshot this message. Like she came over just to kind of hang out with she and her husband came over to hang out with Bennett and the kids one day. And I just like, and it's like, and I, I just stayed in my room the whole time because I mean, first of mm-hmm. all, I just didn't want to get up, but uh, like, I, I think I just feel so bad. And so like hideous, and but I just like want to just go into my cave and wait till it gets better. And it's, I, I don't actually think it's a good way to be. I mean, because I think that people want to 
care for you, like in your struggles. And I kind of, I kind of don't let people sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, so, but I don't know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's one of those broken things in us that we don't want to share like our vulnerability or something, um, Mm-hmm. that that just exists in us mm-hmm. was it hard for you to let Bennett do so much and like just let him or was that kind of a natural thing I mean I definitely feel guilty I uh, or felt guilty during the times um like that I'm just like wow he's just doing so much and naturally I mean sometimes he'd be a, like a little grumpy about it I mean because he was doing so much right and um And I just remember that being like a really hard thing to bear as well. Just kind of that guilt of like, 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 and it it feels wasteful too. I think, I think there's also that component of that mental kind of component of, of it being wasteful. Like I have these skills, like I'm a doctor, I um, am a good mom and here I am just sitting around throwing up, you know, (laughs) like, you know, so Mm -hmm. you, you kind of have this kind of anger, um, at the situation. Like, why, why are you, why is this happening to me? Because we love our kids. We'd have like a minivan full of babies. Like if, if it wasn't, if it wasn't like this. So just kind of, I mean, again, this is a light that came to me too, which I'm grateful for. I mean, that, um, our suffering does not have to be wasted, you know, when we unite it to the cross, like that we, that, that we get tangible benefits like fruit that we can see, but we also can get like supernatural benefits as we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Okay. So mm-hmm. you have, then you have Chaley. So you wait, you turn back after your second. Um, and then when did you decide to, uh, you, you got the amnesia kicked in and you said, Oh, okay. We'll have a third. <laughs> and again, yeah. all of these babies are planned. This is not like, yes, I know which almost worse. I'm like, maybe I should start telling people it was an accident because maybe that makes me sound less frivolous, but, um, (laughs) it does not, it does not, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, we just, yeah, we, I, I feel like as soon as those babies start crawling around and walking, I'm like, Ooh, I want more. Um, but yes. So yeah, then I, we planned to have Chaley, like once I was done with residency, I was a little bit less sick with her. We kind of just knew the routine, like knew how to manage everything more. I did take six weeks off and then come back to work. So I was able to like complete residency just a tiny bit behind where I had, where I had planned it. Um, and then I had Chaley about a month after I completed residency. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then after Chaley, you took a few months off and then you started your actual, your like job mm-hmm. where, what was it called when you're like a full fledged? I, I mean, I was, post- a, I was an attending. Yeah. So I was an attending. So I, um, or, or yeah, just like, my job as a physician. Yeah. But, um, I specifically worked, I stayed on with the same residency program. So I guess I hadn't burned too many bridges with all my pregnancies. Um, (laughs) but I, yeah, so I stayed on with the same residency program and I worked, um, part-time. So about like 60%. Um, and I had a little bit of my own clinic where I saw my own patients and, um, and I supervised residents in a clinic. And again, this was a federally, this is a federally qualified health center. Um, so, you know, what that means is just a, um, very underserved community. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, my specific one is in, in one of the poor neighborhoods of Fort Worth. It's, um, like a lot of crime. 
it's a food desert, like that you have to go 20 minutes to get to any kind of grocery store. That's not family dollar. Um, mm. and, um, yeah, which, so it was, I, I really enjoyed my work there. And then I also did some inpatient medicine, uh, resident teams as well. So I'd supervise the residents as they're admitting patients to the hospital and caring them, caring for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And were you happy doing that when you had three kids at home and what you, you talked about before when you, you like not feeling totally satisfied being at home with two little Mm -hmm. kids. And so now you're back at work and you've got three kids at home. What Mm -hmm. was that? Like, was there a difference? Were you as happy? Yeah. I mean, I was happy. I was happy. Now I think, um, I think just like, as you add to the family, there's more and more people who have needs. And sometimes it feels like you're more limited time at home. Um, you're not able to care for all of that. Now I'll say, um, one of the things was we had the most wonderful nanny. I mean, through, um, like I, when I went back to finish residency, Bennett went part-time. Okay. Like we kind of talked about he, mm-hmm. so he was part-time for about two and a half years while I finished residency, but we also had a, a nanny who was, almost full time. Um, and she just like cared for the kids. Like they were her own and we are still very much involved in her life and she and ours. And, um, man, I mean, that just made life doable. Like just feeling like your kids were well cared for. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, and then she decided to grow her family. So we lost her. Okay. About like a Mm -hmm. few months after I started my real job. Um, and, um, you know, so we were kind of like bouncing back and forth between different babysitters and just never found like someone who was just like an integral part of our family again. So, so there was that struggle that started to, to grow. And, um, um, I, now I'll say, I really loved my job. Okay. Like my job was fun, um, and rewarding. Okay. And, um, so I really liked my job. Um, but okay. So there was like the childcare issue. And there was also the fact that I think when you're part-time, it's almost harder and some, I mean, there's some benefits to it. You definitely have more time at home, but I just felt like I was always ex- expected to be kind of a hundred percent at work, a hundred percent at home. And like, it's just like th- that balancing mm-hmm. act got a lot more difficult than it was when I was a resident, I felt um, mm-hmm. and part of it was just my weird schedule. Like we didn't really have a routine. Cause I was always like, I was covering things at different times. So, so there, yeah, it was hard. It was hard while I, um, while I enjoyed my job, I did start to feel this kind of anxiety about the kids and how the kids were doing. And, um, and I guess my, what I mean about that is not that they weren't doing well at school or whatever, but just kind of that, like what, that they, there was sometimes a lack of peace at home and, um, a lack of, um, like it, like attachment or something. Mm-hmm. You started to experience this lack of peace mm-hmm. and did you kind of like come, did you resolve it or did you just kind of you were just aware of it or at what point did you, did you do anything about it or did you just think, yeah, Mm -hmm. what did you do about it? If anything? Yeah. So I think I was just aware of it. Um, and I, you know how we do as working moms, we try to troubleshoot the issues like, okay, well let's hire someone to do our laundry and, um, Mm -hmm. let's kind of hire more childcare so that I don't feel so rushed going home all the time. Um, and, 
oh, maybe it's the fact that uh, Bennett really wants to go back to work full time and let's do that. And um, so I think we did a lot of troubleshooting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I mean, it was fine. I don't, I don't want it to seem like really every, everybody was fine. I feel like, um, but yeah, I just don't, I, I think I felt this lack of peace for, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, now I'll say, you know, then COVID came and, yeah. um, in some ways COVID, uh, like was, was beneficial to my work-life balance, I'll say to a certain mm-hmm. extent, because I started doing a lot of telehealth. Um, so I was home a lot more and like clinics would randomly be closed. So I just had a lot more time at home. So mm-hmm. I was able to kind of like limp through the first, first nine months of COVID, um, where I felt like everything was kind of okay. And, um, all that, um, mm-hmm. and then, but, okay, but we're getting to Xavier. Mm-hmm. So then you have your fourth, you get pregnant yeah. with your fourth baby. Was there, mm-hmm. w- when you, you know, decided to have a fourth baby, was how much did the lack of peace at home play into it? Or were you just like, Oh, God's going to re- like, that's going to resolve itself. We're not going to, I'm not going to not have another baby simply because I'm, you know, want to figure troubleshoot more at work. I mean, like what was the relationship between work and having a fourth, if any? Um, I think I just like, I, I wonder if a lot of moms feel this way. I think I just looked at my three children and saw like the gift that they were. And like, I just kept thinking to myself, um, what is worth not having another one of them? Like, <laughs> like I really couldn't put a price on that. Um, mm-hmm. and like, just kind of like delighting in them and thinking that there was like really no price that, that was worth not having more of them. And, um, and then I, I did kind of think to myself also, I'm going to cut back more. If, if not mm-hmm. cut back more, then I'm going to stop for a little while. Um, and well, let's keep this going as long as we feel like we can. But eventually, I think I do want to be more at home temporarily while the kids are little. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you guys decide to have another baby, do you talk about the hyperemesis? Like what, like, let's say, so you and Ben obviously are talking constantly about whether they're going to have a mm-hmm. fourth baby. What, yeah. what was his perspective? Is he just like, let's do it. Or is he like, okay, well, I need to get things like in order at work or how does that work? <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's a lot more, um, like I, I definitely kind of have to convince him because he thinks he, I mean, of course he loves our children dearly, but he's, you know, very loving husband. I mean, he says, I don't really want to put your body through that, all that kind of thing. And so I'll say with Xavier, it was a lot less, uh, intentional, so to speak. I was more kind of like, let's just be open to whatever God's will is. <laughs> like, like I, right. we weren't really like trying for, for that. Um, and, um, so I think he's, he, and, and I, and I will say now he's very, he, I, I feel like, gosh, I really don't feel done having kids. And he's very much like, yeah, for sure. We're done having kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens in a year or two, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you have Xavier and by the mm-hmm. way, I just want to say for the listeners, um, Xavier and Georgie, my youngest are like the same age and, <laughs> uh, Chaley and Monica are thirds are the same age. 
Um, so you have Xavier, he's six months old, yeah. almost seven months old. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you have to decide you're a couple months out after having Xavier, then you have to decide if you want to go back to work at the hospital. So yes. what, what's been going, what is the update? Yeah. So I did go back. So I think, I think this is part of it. Um, you know, just, just kind of that I've never really, just because I was so part-time, um, or I was part-time, I didn't have a paid maternity leave. And so I took two months off, but then I went back and, um, I, I wonder if things would have been different if I had taken six months off or as they do in Europe, take a year off because I, um, yeah, I, you know, going back at two months is hard. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. like, you're up all night and you're pumping every two to three hours when you go back to work. And, um, I, I just kind of didn't enjoy it. Um, I just what, didn't feel very happy at work. I just missed the kids. And um, mm-hmm. I really, I've never been a good pumper. Like I just, my mm-hmm. supply always goes down when I'm pumping and, you know, breastfeeding was like really, like really important to me, um, keeping that going. And I was anxious that I wouldn't be able to keep that up. And, mm-hmm. um, um, and then, yeah, like I said, I think things just kept percolating in my mind. Like, we're really not at peace. Every time I come home, first of all, I'm irritable because I'm like, my house is a huge mess. My kids are all crying. No one's made dinner. And like, I, and I, I just wasn't like a happy person. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So, and also, and I'll say also Bennett had gone back full-time, which, you know, full-time law firms, like full-time. I mean, so yeah. um, Yeah. And he, he kind of, is it right to say that it was not that he had to go back full-time, but he was at a point in his career where if he was going to stay at the firm and be on back on partner track and stuff, that it was an important time or is that not? Right? Yeah. I I'd say that's pretty accurate. I mean, I think he couldn't have continued in his same job part-time. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So there's like a lack of peace. Okay. Here's something I wanted to ask you as a, as a fellow mama for mm-hmm. this may be like obvious, but don't you feel like it's harder to leave when you have no kids? Yes. I mean, for <laughs> sure. Yes. It's just hard to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, that's like, duh, Cynthia. I mean, but, but I just think I didn't like fully anticipate that. Cause you know, we also have had a, an amazing nanny and leaving the nanny with one or two. Um, it just was like, you know, she had it and not mm-hmm. that she doesn't have right. it before, but kids are like, you know, it's like whack-a-mole, you know, there's always yes. somebody who's got yes. some kind of issue. Yes. Actually, you've completely hit the nail on the head. I really felt that our babysitters that we had, um, were great, especially with the babies. I mean, they were really taking good care of the one-year-old and the baby or not, you know, the now two-year-old and the baby. But I felt like my older kids were kind of just like, all right, you guys take care of yourself because we got too much going on here. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes, I, I completely, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to manage four kids. So right. I don't know what I was thinking with like a 22 <laughs> year old doing it. I mean, it's hard. So, right. Um, yeah. So no, I agree. I think that was like one thing when you have two kids, it's totally fine. It's, it's like totally doable. And some people do it with like seven. I don't know how, but for me, I felt like I didn't have as as hard of a time leaving when I had two kids because I knew that they were going to be happy and have a great time Mm -hmm. and be well cared for. And then 
once I was leaving four, I was like, wow, it's just going to be a mess at home until I return. <laughs> right. Right. Cause, yeah. cause you're like, well, it's a mess when I'm there, right. You know, but it's mm-hmm. me and, but let, and I don't want to like, you know, that to discourage anyone from having multiple more kids because, you know, the reality is so much of my life is easier having more kids. Do you yes. feel that way? Absolutely. I thought about that so many times during COVID and, and I still think about like just how grateful I was first of all, to have young kids that like, didn't really know exactly what was going on and they weren't like yeah. missing out on high school graduation, but, um, yeah, that they could play together. I would have lost my mind having like one four-year-old that I had to play imagination games with all day. Um, right. Right. So yeah, I know. Um, I just yeah. have so much, um, I'm just like the moms of one child during the pandemic, they need like a gold medal. Oh my gosh, for sure. Because mm-hmm. the gift of siblings, and it is such a gift because there's so many people who aren't able to have more than one child. Um, yeah. But then I also think, you know, there are people who maybe they've had a couple kids and they're in a good place with their marriage or their, um, or their finances or whatever it is. And they're thinking, should I have a third? And I mean, it just does, it just feels like every child that we welcome into our family, things get better. The kids get better. I get better. Even though you, you make sacrifices, it's just, you can really see like God's plan. Not that every, I mean, I just want to caveat everything I'm saying with there's all different family sizes, but I do think there is something that, um, there's a distinctive certain type of ease that comes with a big family that I think is really underrated. Absolutely. Um, I think first of all, having an old, yeah, I, I think the fact that they entertain each other, that, um, the older ones care for the younger ones it's just this extra source of entertainment throughout the day so that I'm not having to do all of that. Um, and I also, I mean, yeah, we probably change as well. We probably get a little more laid back and, um, maybe a little more creative. So, I mean, yeah, it certainly stretches you. I mean, I'm like those first three months of having four kids was hard. Um, Mm -hmm. so it certainly stretches you, but then now that I have a six month old, I feel like having four kids is great. I mean, it doesn't yeah. seem yeah. like too much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And you got the, Oh, but I will say also, I mean, for a little while there, because, because I went back when Xavier was two months, we had two babysitters come <laughs> yeah. because, you know, it's hard to put a baby to bed. And I also had this, not this, this other one-year-old and then the big kids needed to be picked up from school. So we would just have two babysitters we were paying. Mm. Um, which just seems a little like extra. I mean, like, why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's actually yeah. affirming that you had to do that. Cause I have wondered, cause when I, um, have a, a babysitter or somebody, I end up doing, I it's like hard for me to actually leave with the four. So it's mm-hmm. just like me having like a helper often. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Okay. So then, so you went back, you're at the hospital, you're pumping through the night. Mm-hmm. You've got Xavier at home with the four, you got two babysitters. And we haven't even said this explicitly, but at some point you were, you called it quits. You're like, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. So yeah. what happened? Yeah. So, um, okay. I had been thinking for quite a while that I was not 
very happy and I really wanted to just stay home with the kids, but I kind of had this guilt a little bit. Um, and I think you even talk about it in your intro. Like, uh, so, so my guilt came from two sources. One was I have this talent, I have these skills and like, am I living out the fullness of my life? If I'm not like working as a doctor, um, mm-hmm. and am I kind of accepting this life of leisure, you know, just being a stay-at-home mom, like, um, <laughs> which is so silly. Cause I like do so much all day with the four of them. Yeah. But, that's um, ridiculous. So- it's like viewed as a life of leisure, <laughs> but it, it's not a life of leisure. It is a privilege, mm-hmm. but it's also very hard work. But anyway, I cut you off. Keep, keep going. No, but yeah. So I think the guilt came from there. Um, and then also a little bit of guilt from, from on, from Bennett, because like, I, you know, I, I kind of felt like I derailed his career. I had him go part-time so I could finish residency. And if I'm not Mm -hmm. even going to use those skills, I learned, um, what, you know, I just, I, I felt bad about that. And I just kind of wanted to do my part. And I think also, like I'd been saying at the very beginning, you know, we're marinating in this culture that says, um, you are what you do. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think, I think a lot of that came from, and from, and I, I'm not blaming anyone, but I just see, see a lot of, um, my, the pride that my parents felt in me and things like that came from me becoming a doctor and like living this kind of life of balancing kids and work and, and all that. Mm-hmm. And, and I just wondered, would I feel like I was enough if I, if I let that go? So I really struggled with that. I'd say for a good, like ever since I went back after Xavier was mm-hmm. born, I was like, Oh, when can I quit? When can I stop working? <laughs> yeah. And then finally just one morning I, I said to Bennett, like, I really just have been thinking a lot about, uh, stopping for a little bit. What do you think about that? And he said, he was like, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about it tonight. <laughs> like he just was so cool about it. Like he was like, yeah, I think that sounds great. And, um, and he'd actually been thinking the same thing, just that, um, our life seemed really chaotic, but he never mm-hmm. wanted me to feel like I couldn't do whatever I wanted to do. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. again, constant theme is that you are married to a saint. I know. Which is awesome. <laughs> you haven't said that. You're like, he's really good. Yeah. It's like, yeah, he's like a living saint. And I know he's a human being, like we all are, but he's awesome. And just what a privilege it is that um, you know, that you have him. So you stop and now you've been home. How many months have you been at home full? I mean, really full-time? just two. Cause I had to I gave him like, you know, maybe a month's notice, and then I've been home for about two months. Mm-hmm. And how is it? Good. I mean, the first, I'm still like growing into it. The first month I'd say I had these like panic attacks. Okay. So like not panic <laughs> attacks, but I'd have this panic feeling welling up in my stomach. Like what if I want to go back, you know, and, and I can't get a job and what am I wasting my gifts? And I'd have these feelings. And then I would have these other times throughout the day where I was just felt really happy and really content. And, um, um, and almost this feeling, this, this, where I would have to grow into, like, I wanted to allow myself to feel that sense of peace. And mm-hmm. I, I had to allow myself to feel it like, mm-hmm. because I still had these lingering. It's not enough. It's not enough. Um, so what do you think I, that is? Because I have experienced that too, where 
I've had times when I've been at home and I, I have a, I haven't told my full story on this podcast yet, but I have a somewhat similar track to you and that I've gone and I've left and I've come back and I've done part-time and, and I really have had these um, moments of like deep peace when I'm home with the kids, but there is that nagging in the back. That's like, but what about all the people who need you? And what about the, yes. the things that you gave up and, and the money that you spent on law school? I mean, what, what do you think that is? Um, I mean, I think, I think in some sense, those are real concerns. I, I've thought a lot about what I would say to 22-year-old me. Um, would I tell her to go to med school? And, and I would, ultimately, mm-hmm. I would. Because I think, okay, we are all in a process of becoming who we need to be. And I think that there are so many virtues. Like, even if I never practice again, which is not my intent. I do intend to practice again. But even if I never do there are so many virtues and things that I grew into having gone to medical school and be in residency and working. I mean, um, I, I really, really in high school, I was like a very silly girl. Like, and I was kind of <laughs> like a mess and, um, just devoting myself to this hard work and, um, delayed gratification and sleep deprivation. And, um, so all of that, I think, really helped me become a better person and be a good mother to my kids and a good wife and just a good, like, you know, get stuff done type girl. But, um, so there's that. And, and, you know, just being able to like use my medical knowledge to help my kids and to help my friends. And, um, so, so there's all that. So I would tell her to go to med school, but yeah, I mean, there, there is that human element. I mean, um, you go really like far into debt. And if, if you know that you're, you want to be a stay-at-home mom, I mean, maybe I would say don't do it, but most people don't know that in their twenties. Right. Right. And how um, could you know, in a way yeah. you just don't and, know where life is going to lead you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, you know, this also goes to in terms of that nagging, you're not enough. You're not enough by only quote, only being at home with your kids. It just goes to what you talk about this culture that values a certain type of work over the work of motherhood. Yes. And not only like the actual type of work, but also macro versus micro. Like it feels like if you go and you um, you're a doctor or you're practicing law, you're like having big impacts, like you're impacting policy or you're seeing a hundred patients And you're really like spreading your talents far and wide versus it almost sometimes to me feels selfish. Like I'm giving, not that I'm like, think think I'm like super mom, but, but my kids, it's almost like my, why am I so lucky that my four kids get 100% me right now? Mm -hmm. It almost feels selfish, but I just have to believe. And the way that I look at it, and I haven't fully fleshed this out, this is not going to be like super profound, but I just have to believe that in like the broader scheme, butterfly effect, you know, that raising like really well-formed, good children at this really important stage of life, that it will have kind of like macro effects um, ultimately. And then when you throw in the fact that 
gosh, like you should be able to go back and practice medicine at some point if you want to, and I can go back and practice law. Then you think, okay, well, that's the justification right there. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I started also kind of meditating on like the moments, this one, I was still fully, fully working so that I would, um, just like think kind of in my like examination of my day at the end of the day, where were the moments that I felt like I was doing what I should be doing. And what came to mind was always the really meaningless moments in, in, in to other people. Like I would be putting a bandaid on something or, or on somebody mm-hmm. and rocking my baby for a while. And like, okay, literally times that you're doing nothing, you're consoling a crying child. And those are all the times that I was, that I felt, I mean, I, I, like, I felt like God was saying, this is where you were. And I was loving you. Like I was loving mm-hmm. what you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think just leaning into that, it made me feel that it, that it was enough that these like little people, they only need so much of me for a short period of time. Um, and, and I, I started to feel more peace at that mm-hmm. point. That, mm-hmm. Those little moments, like they really, they really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, this has been awesome. And I want to keep talking to you for the next five hours, but I know <laughs> you and I, I'm like currently nursing a baby. Now we've had many yeah. meltdowns. We started, I think I hear one crying upstairs. Okay. okay good. <laughs> I'll let you go, but really quick. Can you say some affirming words to a mom who um, is choosing to continue to work mm-hmm. or that maybe has like, doesn't have the option to stay at home is because I think that's an important part of this too, is that even though yeah. you recognize this path is right for you, what I love about you is, you know, that there's, there are other callings for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. That is so true. I mean, my story is not other people's story. I will, I, I could bring in a ton of other human things that were going on. You know, I think like there's a couple of people in my like extended family that just needed more of me because like I have uh, somebody going through cancer and all that, you know, so that needed more of me that I didn't have time for. So, um, yes, that is not everyone's story. And I just think, um, that ultimately if we come to our children, even with like a shorter period of time, like as a, as a mom, that's joyful and like delighting in our children, then that's what they need from us. Okay. That like unconditional love. Um, Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, because I mean, if you're slogging through your day with your kid for 12 hours and you're just really unhappy about that (laughs) and grumpy about that, that's not doing any favors for them either. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think if like, no matter when we come to our children, um, if we can come to them with like joy and delight and unconditional love that, that that is what they need from us. So, Mm -hmm. Okay. You're the best, um, obsessed with this whole conversation. So excited (laughs) to put it out there. Um, we hope, I hope you'll be back on the podcast to do book reviews and talk more about natural family planning and the curriculum you're developing for high schoolers. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on more, but just thank you so, so much for sharing your story. Yes. Thank you for all you're doing for moms. And, um, yeah, it was really fun. Thank you for inviting me. Yay. Okay. Thanks, right. Trish. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>